today's guest is an actor, writer, director, and producer. His movies include Letters for Annie, Memories from World War II, The White House is Fake, The Harvard Psychologist, From Bobby, Elizabeth Carter, the TV series Reflections, Project Chameleon, and more. His latest release, Tony Martone, just had its extremely successful premiere at the Stadium Theater in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. So without further ado, please welcome the extremely talented Joe McGee to the Claws Corner. Actually, I should say welcome back. This is your third time being on the show. You are the most I've ever had a guest on, except for our editor, John. So congratulations. Well, thanks. I feel uh, feel privileged, and I'm excited to, to return and uh, talk with you again. Well, that's why I love having you on the show, because you're always doing something. You always have something to talk about. And I did forget to mention, if you missed the premiere last night, we're recording this in uh, early July, July 10th to be exact. They had the, you had the premiere the other night. You can see it on Amazon Prime right now. Is that correct? Yes, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, just look up the movie. It's called Tony Martone. Yes. And you can see more details about it. It'll come up on the search. And it's basically about a story about two rival families, the Amatos and the Martones. Uh, the Martones, he's well-established. He's in East Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, basically, he owns everything, literally owns everything, City Hall, cops, you know, FBI. And um, there's another uh, family, uh, Amato, who's got a lot of heat in New York. He's from New York. And um, basically, it's not going very well. He's got to get out of there. So he's trying to find a city where he can infiltrate and a city where he knows, you know, hey, I don't like this guy. So he knows who Tony Martone is, obviously. You know, they, they know who people are. So he decides to basically go to East Providence to take over territory. Now, Martone doesn't do drugs, but Amato does. So he decides to smuggle drugs into his docks. And with Martone, he knows his docks. He has people, contacts. So he knows when this is happening, discovery, she's coming to East Providence. So that's how the movie kind of starts and elevates. I love mob movies. For you, um, you and I are both from the younger generation. So a lot of the older people, oh, The Godfather is the best mob movie ever made. To me, it's Goodfellas. Goodfellas and Donnie Brasco. I love those two movies. What's your opinion? You know, it's funny how you said Donnie Brasco. I think it's very underrated. And when I talk, when I talk to people, been on other shows, and, and that's exactly what I say is this actually Donnie Brasco inspired my film. Actually, that's what it's not based off of it, but I like the fact that you know, um, you know, FBI informants, and not just that, but like the way they dress. You know, um, you know, it's more like I would say I want to say like an older generation, but they're more like a, a newer generation where. They're not all, you know, in suits and ties. They kind of have, you know, cool shirts. Um, and, um, you know, obviously there, there's still a lot of dirty things going on. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to bring my own interpretation of this more new generation. Because the story takes place in modern day, like this could happen like now. And, but I do use cool cars. I have cool cars. I have like a 19, I don't have it in front of me, but I think it's a 1949 Ford. It's got like this shark kind of fin grill. And we use that for one of the couple of the scenes. And, you know, I like the, it, it's kind of like, a, I want to say a trademark, but in most of all my movies, you're going to see a cool car. And I just like the eye candy effect. So that's my take on that. That's, well, it's funny you said that because I did not hear you say that. I'm just going by my taste and two other honorable mentions I'll, I forgot about, Carlito's Way and Casino. Those four yep, again, I, I love, uh, I love Casino, De Niro. I mean, it's just another, um, Another favorite of mine, and, and Car Carlito's Way, 
I've seen it. I'm, I'm not I'm a little yeah. hazy on that, but definitely casino. I, I, it's up there on my list. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I mean, I do, well, here's my personal opinion. The second Godfather is a really good movie. The first one to me was just a bore. I'd have to watch it again. Maybe I saw it when I was younger and I just wasn't in the right frame of mind. Maybe I was too young to actually appreciate it, but I, you know, 1990s when Goodfellas came out, the other ones came out a little bit old. I was in my 20s. I was able to appreciate the movies a little bit more and it was more my era. So I just, uh, I think you and I are on the same page. And I love the fact that filmmakers like you are uh, paying homage to those greats and uh, making your, putting, putting your own take on it. Yeah, absolutely. I got to rewatch all the Godfather uh, movies, but I think for me, one of my favorite scenes, um, it just shows you who they are. When I say who they are, they're well known, they're respected, they can do what they want. And I, I, I'm pretty sure this happened in the first Godfather. There's a scene where I think it's where it might be the wedding scene and the photographers start taking pictures like they're paparazzi and the guy smashes the camera and he just throws wads of money at him. Like, hey, I did this, now F off. You know who I am, I'm paying for it, but this is my way of damaging and saying, you know, you don't mess with me. So. You know, stuff like that. I th I thought was cool, and I just got to rewatch the whole series. So, uh, for the for the, yeah, the Godfather movies. I, I think I'm the same way. So for Tony Martone, I mentioned you you just had your premiere in, in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. From what I saw, the theater is gorgeous. It's huge. It has a huge yeah. screen, great seating. So tell me more about how you got that theater and and yeah, how you got that theater. We'll talk about that. Sure. So a few few things about the theater um, built in 1926. It was just recently re renovated. I want to say north of 2015 millions of dollars. Um, but it's um, it's a great theater. It's beautiful. It's 1,088 seats. I mean, we're not talking just like a local theater, like you know, down the block, like an AMC or even an old style one, a couple hundred seats. I mean, 1,088. That's 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 big. Now the style of the theater. Um, it's mainly used for theater, like plays, theatrical plays, uh, but they do have a screen, you know, they bring out and, and that's how, and I, I love just the history and, and the historic relevance of it. And not, not only that, but I mean, the, um, the following in, in, in my shoes, like I think Cher's been there. I mean, a lot of just musicians and just, it has a lot of history. And I thought that was important. And not only that, the story takes place in East Providence, Woodsockets in Rhode Island. So I wanted a connection there. And, and I also look at other factors when I do premiere. Um, I look at the, the radius of my actors, you know, who they are. In, in the film, I have people from everywhere, but mainly from Mass and Rhode Island. So I wanted something more up that way to hold the premiere because I have a few people in Connecticut. We also have people in Pennsylvania, I mean, all over. So we had um, I think from the Pennsylvania scene, we had three or four people actually come from PA to represent. And that was great seeing them. You know, we had people from New York, actors from New York come, actors from Mass, actors from Rhode Island. So just considering all that, it had to have been Rhode Island. And, you know, and, and we actually did uh, reflections here um, back in February 2021, I want to say, as we were there as well. But when we were there doing reflections, for the premiere, they only allowed me 100 people because it was a COVID restriction by the state. And that time I had 101 in, in my cast, so it couldn't be a public event. This time I have about, I think it was about 60 in my cast and it could be a public event. So we made it public sit with the actors, red carpet. We had our photographer take photos. We had a podcast, Oscara podcast. They're out of uh, Massachusetts, I believe. They were there doing a live podcast during the show. 
and then we had backstage interviews that I was conducting and then announcements on the stage. So very interactive. I mean, this is not just like, hey, I'm going to pay for a ticket. I'm seeing a movie. And then we had trailers. I brought other indie filmmakers. We showed their trailers. We did introductions. So this was just a world class uh, red carpet experience like nothing, you know, you, you would see traditionally. I love, yeah, you made it an experience. It's almost like man's Chinese theater. There's the pictures I <laughs> yeah. saw. And you know what I love about that? Because uh, two of my favorite movies, I mean, I have many, I can mention Jaws and all these other movies, but two of my favorite movies are The Warriors and Jesus Christ Superstar. And I had the chance to watch the movie, The Warriors. They had a reunion at Coney Island with the entire cast. We watched the movie afterwards. And same thing with Jesus Christ Superstar. They had a reunion. I want to say it was their 50th reunion. And they showed the movie in New York City. I had a chance to watch the movie and meet everybody. I actually had the Ted Neely, who played Jesus on the show before, and a couple of the Warriors as well. But just I, I loved how you do that because it, it's not just you going to see a movie for your friends. It's, wow, I get a chance to hang out with the actors. You see trailers of other independent filmmakers. And it's, you have the red carpet, a live podcast going on. It's like, yeah. You're yeah. a movie star yourself, walking down the red carpet, having fun, like, hey, how do you like the movie? And so <laughs> I, I love the fact you put so much work into it. So did you know these the, the owners of this theater prior when you, from Project Chameleon? Um, I didn't, no, I didn't know them. I, um, again, with that particular project, uh, it's kind of the same thing. We have actors of um, kind of varying states, but I, I picked it just because of the proximity of yeah. the, the actors, where, where they lived about, where they're from. And I met Kathy. Kathy's the owner um, of uh, the stadium, and I built a relationship with Kathy and Dennis. Dennis does the tech, the sound, and you know, running the file, and, and all great people. And I knew back in 2021 I would return at some point. Here we are again, back in their beautiful theater. And what's good about it, um, you know, whether you have an old school marquee with like you know the letters they actually have to put up by hand. This particular one, even though it was 1926, the marquee. Um, was uh, must have been renovated at some point. It's digital, so it's a nice digital file that um, kind of broadcasts very bright. Uh, so it's basically an artwork. I sent them an artwork file, and then they just broadcast that. So they were running my um, Tony Martone date on there. I think two weeks prior to my event, just getting word out there. We actually got we were in the newspaper. The call from Woonsocket wrote up an article about us. That was about a one week before the premiere. Um, and then also 99.5, 12.40 a.m. in uh, Wound Radio out in Woonsocket. We were on there twice. So, I mean, we were doing a lot of promo, um, specifically in Rhode Island, just because, hey, we're in Rhode Island. Let's let's get the people to know we're out here. And I did. What's, what's good about that, I met a lady um, during the premiere. She said, hey, Joe, um, you know how I'm here? I said, no, how you're here? Um, I heard you on the radio. And she, she heard me on the radio. And here she is. So. We know that works. We know radio works. We, we, we get the news out to the people and, um, you know, and, and it's great. It's great. Fortunately, I'm a little late to the party. <laughs> this is after the premiere, but still, we get a chance yeah. to talk about how great it was. And from, from the pictures that I see from friends with you on Facebook, I can see that there was a lot of people there. Did you have a full count? Well, I mean, 1,088, that's really, really hard to, to do. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to, like, you know, do, like, some door-to-door -door knockings, cold calling. I do a lot of promoting, <laughs> but I'm, you know, I'm not at that level of uh, yeah. uh, godness or, you know, have my my, uh, my uh, wizards do that for me. So I I don't know the full count uh, right away. I'm waiting for the box office to tell me. But if I would have had a guess, seeing who was there, 
Um, I think it was somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe three, 400 people, something like that. that that's great. That's something to be proud of. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Because last time I talked to you, you lived in Connecticut. Do you still live in this area or are you in Rhode Island now? Yeah, no, I'm not in Rhode Island. Um, no, so I'm between uh, Jersey and uh, Connecticut. Um, so uh, when I'm in Connecticut a lot, um, I'm also working with my dad on the music because he's, he's already in Old Wethersfield. So I was just up there earlier today. And, um, you know, kind of, you know, talking about things with, with my mom and uh, uh, we would work up there in his room. Um, so kind of between, you know, Jersey and Connecticut a lot. Uh, but lately it seems like I'm going to be um, over here because I'm doing um, just a couple more things over this way and some scouting. I'm going to be looking at for um, two new projects that are up, um, up in post-production right now. So there's going to be a lot of scenes that we're going to do in specifically in Connecticut for, for these projects. Hi, are you the scout um, scout location or location scout? Do you go and pick the locations yourself or do you have somebody do that for you? How did you figure, I know you wrote the script. Did you, do you write, or let me ask you this way. Yeah. Do you write the script with the location in mind or do you write the script and say, let me find something that looks just like I have it imagined in my head? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty detailed oriented, very meticulous on, on what I want, but it's all written for me to figure out. So once it's written, then I go to work, hey, you know, what venue, what place would be the most appealing to bring this vision to life? And, um, you know, that's kind of what I, what I do is I work on that. I also have another associate, Bill Gann, and he helps me on scouting. You know, if I come to a, a dead end, he's got a lot of resources, he helps me out. Um, we did have some hiccups though with Tony Martone. Um, in November, we were supposed to film a scene, a strip club scene. Um, this scene location changed four times, and I'll tell you the reason. The, I met this guy. I went down there. I went to the strip strip club in Wolcott, and I went in there. He's like, "Hey, five dollar cover." I'm like, "No, I'm not here for that." Where's the owner? <laughs> and I go talk to the owner. I go, "Hey, you know, I'm Joe McGee. I'm doing this, doing that. You know, we'd love to have." You know, he said, "Yeah, yeah, sure. Just let me know when." So we made a date, and then like literally the night before, I get a phone call. I got COVID. This was all you know, oh. heat of COVID, right? Uh, November 2021 so we had to reschedule then I got back to him and he's like yep I'm good let's do it in December you know because uh, when you wait there's other variables because you know it might be good for one actor but then another actor might be working because uh, a lot of them are full-time actors they have day, you know they have day jobs so in yeah. December we had to wait till December just because I couldn't get everyone on board until then and the the two weeks of COVID five days whatever the hell it was then and then so we get the new date December and day before um the other actor gets COVID so I had to push it back and I and then I landed on I went to the same club and they're like oh I can't you know I'm going to be out of town and the other owners you know they don't want anybody over here early because I don't want to film it when they're open I want to control the environment bring my own people uh, so it didn't work out so I got another club scene um ready to go then I got COVID so I had to reschedule again now here we are in I think it's February almost then it changed, it changed again. They couldn't accommodate. So it took, that's some of the things you deal with is finding the right location, but it, the variables you can't control happen like that, you know? Yeah, definitely. By the time you actually filmed the scene, the actors were 20 years older. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know that's like the progression. If you're um, a Stranger Things, Stranger Things following, look how young they were. Look, look how old they are now. Yes. <laughs> maybe, that was, maybe they all had COVID. That was just season one. <laughs> it took yeah, them that long to be. film it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I want to speak about uh, the actors because I do know that some of the actors, a mutual friend of ours, Mark Withers, 
is in a lot of your movies and you have some other people that are in the same. Do you open, do you have open call auditions or do you know the actors in advance and say, all right, I think you'd be perfect for this part. Uh, I'd like to have you play Tony Marteau. I'd like to have you play this gangster. Yeah, that's a good question. No, it's a kind of a, um, a mixed bag sometimes because, um, you know, there might be a roles where I know um, people are good at. I always have try to have open auditions on my website, McGeeProductions.us. Even now, I, have, I think I have something on there for open auditions right now. But um, I'll have everyone go through the, the process is, um, hey, you're interested in this role. Um, you know, send me a headshot, send me your IMDb link. And then once I collect names, discover who, who, who I have of interest, then I do a kind of a, um, a video audition where I'll send them aside. They got to put their emotion into it and, and really own it. And then I'll make a decision. But in Tony Martone, there are some repeats we've had other people we've worked with before. Nicky Scars from PA, he's back in it. Uh, Mario Canero played Tony Martone. He was in Reflection. He's back. Mark Wither um, is back. But a lot of new faces. I have um, Gio Driscani, who's a really um, great actor. Um, I, I call him the son of Joe Pesci because he sounds just like, like a mini Joe Pesci. And, you know, very, very thick Italian accent. Um, so first time meeting him, he really slammed it, um, really took it. Um, there's a scene where we're supposed to beat a guy who might be a rat in the movie. So they start punching him, they're kicking him. And this, this was all improv. I didn't tell him to do this, but it worked so well. We kept it in. There was a shovel uh, to the right of the door. He picked it up and he went to town and started whacking the hell out of him with a shovel. But it worked so well, we kept it in. So, I mean, just those, those uh, uh, moments when you're in the moment, you're acting, you're feeling it. You know, you just do things like that. And that worked out. So he's new. David Torres, Fall River Mass. He's another um, actor um, that I've, I've know, known of, seen him in projects. We brought him into Tony Martone. Um, and I met uh, Danny Feynman, who played Ray Amato. You know, he uh, definitely looks the part. Um, you know, he's kind of got that face and, and a really great actor as well. So many new faces, many uh, returning faces for this one. I didn't have a chance to see the movie myself because when you had the premiere, I'm just getting over COVID myself. And you had some issues with Amazon Prime, which by the time this is released, the movie will be on Amazon Prime. So the second it does, I'm going to check it out because I saw the trailer. I see all the stills. It yep. looks great. And you know what I like about your movies? <coughs> that they're, they're full of suspense. They're full of action, but they're also very funny. You have a lot of funny elements in your movies. I like how I you do. combine all those. Yeah. I do, I do. Like this, this particular one, Tony Martone, is I wrote a scene. Um, it's it's really funny. So there's a lot of serious. There's you know deaths. There's you know blood war. But there's a scene where uh, Mark Wither, he plays Johnny. He's like the underboss to Ray Amato. He's like his second you know second guy in command if everything whatever happened. And um, he's kind of like a freak, right? You know, he's really into National Geographic magazine. You know, he likes uh, you know just you know watching those line videos. You know, tour open animals and just fish. So. There's a scene where Ray Amato says, hey, well, well, Johnny goes first. Remember, I was telling you about smuggling drugs. So Johnny yeah. goes, hey, boss, you know, we got a problem. You know, this dock worker guy's, you know, eyeballing me, giving me this look. And, um, you know, what should we do? He's like, well, you know, maybe we should follow him. And he's like, uh, do you think he works for Martone? He's like, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, keep an eye out for him. Um, he's like, you know, well, maybe we should kill him. But make it look like a freak accident. So, so Johnny goes, I, I know just what to do. And he's like, you scare me when you say crap like that. What do you, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I think I'm going to get Nikki to get me a swordfish, a swordfish, yeah, out of the ocean. And I'm going to harpoon him in to private parts. 
And he's like, how the hell is a swordfish going to jump out of the ocean and harpoon someone in the private parts? And he goes, blow. So you're going to give the swordfish cocaine, you know, so some funny stuff, you know, and, you know, and he's like, you know, you're the dumbest, sickest F guy I know. And, you know, so we're, we're making the character, his character, like this sick, you know, like if you watch like um, Sons of Anarchy, um, yeah. what, I think it's Tibbs, um, where he's like a Nazi that, you know, he gets in fights, he bites people's ears off. So he's got that edge to him where he's, he, he doesn't care. He's going to do all these weird things, you know? It sounds like he's been watching too many Steve Irwin videos. <laughs> yeah, well, there is a line about that. Um, God bless her family. But I, I did put a line in there that, that I did mention that. I, I mentioned that um, he goes, I think Johnny says something like, that Steve Irwin guy, you know, um, a steamery ended him. So why not? You know, so I, I do say it, but, you know, it, it, you got to understand it's fiction. We're not making fun of people. We're just incorporating, you know, content. Well, it's funny because without even me knowing that, I made that joke up. So I, we have a very similar sense of humor and I love yes, that because, yes. yeah, so I, exactly. I think that there's, for me, and I tell people else all the time, as you know, I used to be a stand comedian and I said, there's, you can always make everything funny. It's how you do it. And you have exactly. a great way of combining, like I said, all the elements of action, suspense and humor. So you, you mentioned a little bit how actors can improv. Do you give them free reign or do you have to pull them back every once in a while and say, you know what, just to stick to the script? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, um, with this Tony Martone, yeah, there are a few scenes where I give him free reign, but generally speaking, it was pretty on par. Uh, but there's another project I also premiered in uh, Rhode Island. I remember I mentioned the trailers. I'm also the founder of the Nutmeg Film Festival. We cater to finding other filmmakers, best filmmakers in Connecticut, just to recognize their talent because, you know, I want people to tell stories and hear about it. But my point about this is, is I did a promo video called Dancing in the Dark based on Ed Sheeran's song, Perfect, of, you know, when, you know, lyrics are, you know, dancing in the dark, you know, um, you know, barefoot in the grass and all that. But yeah. um, there's a love doctor in it giving advice. So I, I, I called four actors and they didn't know what they're doing. I said, okay, here, here's a situation. You're going to talk to the love doctor. And Bill Gannon was in this. I said, Bill, night terrors. Tell her about your night terrors, all improv. So the first three minutes of that movie, all improv, and they really landed it. So I would say, hey, Night terrors, I would say, hey, uh, personal space, or I would say, hey, talk about, you know, she drinks and doesn't pay attention to me. So whatever it is, and, and it was all improv and it worked out well. So first three minutes, it was an eight minute short, just to promo the Nutmeg yeah. Film Festival. So from zero to three minutes, it's all improv. And then three minutes to eight minutes was the rest of the script. So I do do things like that when appropriate, you know? Do you ever hear of the actor Vincent Price? Oh, of course. So very horror related. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I, I bring this up for a reason, because I interviewed his daughter, Victoria Price, and yeah. she was talking about how it was Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff and him in a movie. No, sorry, Peter Lorre. Peter Lorre, Boris Karloff and him. And Peter Lorre loved to improv. Boris Karloff hated it. He kept <laughs> yelling at the director and Vincent Price was basically in the middle. He goes, I can improv if I want. I can go with the flow, but I can also stick by the script. So they had to compromise because Peter Laurie loved to go off script and Boris Karloff said, I just can't act with him. I, I need to follow the script. I'm very structured. So uh, the reason I bring that up was, did you ever have any issues with that where one actor is going on and on and the other one who's a little bit more structured says, whoa, how am I going to react to that? I'm not good at improv. 
No, not really. I mean, these, these guys, they're, they're really, they feed off of each other. Um, we haven't really had a problem with that. I mean, there's, there's other things where we might have a problem where, you know, they, maybe they're forgetting a line, you know, I might pull them back and say, Hey, do a rehearse or do a dry run. Um, and then they'll get it, you know, after like two, three takes. Um, but, but nothing like that, where, you know, one doesn't like improv one is all about, no, I, I haven't had that problem though. So for you, because I know some directors like Stanley Kubrick used to do 150 takes, and I have exaggerated. In The Shining, Jack Nicholson was quoted as saying that one scene in the, where he was typing, I think he did that 150 times. Um, I talked to an actor who worked with uh, Ron, or Clint Eastwood said, basically, one take, let's move on. Are you somewhere in between? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I'll do an establishment, establishing shot, you know, maybe, you know, whatever it could be, whether they're walking to someone or whatever, get out of the car, get in the car, you know, and then we'll do our, our close-ups. Um, and then I'll do a kind of a very, you know, one, especially if there's dialogue, I'll get, you know, I'll get, you know, straight on and then I'll do the over shoulder the other way and then I'll do a side shot. So generally speaking, I'll do um, a scene. Um, usually, I mean, I'm not doing a hundred, 200 times, maybe four or five times, um, you know, if there, if the dialogue wasn't solid or I, I felt I didn't feel that I might have done it a few more times, but I've never done a hundred. Um, I know when the new Top Gun movie, um, 800 hours of footage for that whole movie. I mean, that's insane to work with, but you gotta understand, I mean, you know, they had a lot of just aerial stuff and just, um, you know, a lot of stuff going on with that film, but yeah, I'm pretty, pretty basic. Just get my, my close-ups, my wide, my establishments, and if it looks good, I move on. You, know, you mentioned Top Gun, and I saw the making of that, and they were saying, the director was saying that Tom Cruise and the other actors would put the camera in the fighter plane, and at the end of the scene, he would just come back and say, I hope it came out good, I hope it came out good, because basically all that flying, all the flying sequences were filmed without him having any control at all, the director. He just yeah, put the camera yeah. in there, and they had to react. And you know what's funny? Just a little shout out to my brother, who was actually friends with Mark. That's how I met Mark. Those two went to college together. He, he was a fighter pilot, and his squadron is the one that was in that movie for Top Gun. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> absolutely right. I did see the making, too. I'm a big Tom Cruise fan in general. Yeah. Um, they use the Sony Venice uh, camera. It's uh, one of the new uh, top-of-the-line models. It's very portable. Um, and yeah, they really gave him free reign. It's a $38,000 camera base. And then with all the lenses and, you know, you're up in the hundred thousands easily, but yeah, that, that, that footage looked really, really nice. And, um, you know, they said, obviously, you know, they took, well, a lot of people don't know, but Tom Cruise, he flies in real life, right? That P-51 Mustang in, in the movie, that's his. Yep. And, um, you know, he really wanted to fly more in the, uh, the F-22 Raptor, I think it was. They didn't let him fly like everything, like, you know, because obviously there's, hey, you just, you know, crash the, you know, $12 million plane or whatever. But um, he, he even told the director, uh, hey, you know, I don't, I don't, if this CGI crap in here, I don't want to do it. Um, and they agreed, but it wasn't totally agreed because he, they did, you know, block him out of a lot of those live scenes. Yeah. You know, the P 51, you know, he does that all the time. But, you know, Tom, we don't want you in the jet, you know, you can do the green screens, but, you know. Well, also, it's an insurance thing, because I know that, I mean, an example would be when Jackie Chan was at his height of popularity in America. In Japan, he would, or in Asia, he would do all his own stunts. In America, they said, yeah, we, the insurance is going to cover that. If you get hurt, 
we don't want you to sue us and this and that. So I, there was probably a lot of restrictions on him, even though I know he is known for doing all his own stunts or a lot of his stunts, especially in Mission Impossible and other movies. So I bet you there's a yeah. lot of, because I know that uh, a lot of, like I said, Jackie Chan is just one example where he came over to America and said, come on, I do it all the time. This nope, you're not allowed. If you get hurt, the movie's over. So I bet you there's, a, especially with Tom Cruise is such a huge star, if he dies, <laughs> there goes not yeah. only the movie, but there's yeah, lawsuit yeah, after right. lawsuit after lawsuit. So there's a lot of that going on too. You, you, this movie, um, Tony Martone is very authentic and very genuine. Not only because you mentioned your father helped with the music, but you also had an Italian composer create original music. Absolutely right. Now, so you know, with the movie, I wanted it to be as authentic with the Italian flair as I could. Alberto Belvia, I hope I said that right. He's from Italy. He's got a team over there. And I, I, I met him um, um, obviously online, not in person, but a great guy. We talked about it and um, kind of gave him some examples of like the um, tone that I want. So my opening intro, we call it Tony Martone Blues. So if you watch the movie, when you get to see it on Prime, that first two minute intro, you know, it's, it's very, very um, instrumental, very jazzy, kind of bluesy feel. But I mean, it's it's got these, you know, like, like not not like comedic, but but like up tempo instrument where, you, you know, you feel like you're in Italy. I mean, you got these strings, you know, we got um, um, I think clarinet on a couple of them. We, we got a piano. Um, you know, just uh, brass, a lot of the brass, saxophone. I mean, just all kinds of just, just, you know, beautiful tones in the film. And he put together, um, you know, great uh, music to reflect that. And then my father, who's in a lot of my other projects, I wanted him involved as well. Um, not that he couldn't do Italian music, but, you know, if you have a guy living in Italy, he knows Italy, you, you go with a guy that knows Italy. I mean, I don't know what else to say, but so, but with my father, I wanted him, you know, he's more American contemporary. He could do everything, but um, he did um, the strip club scene. Cause you gotta understand, like I mentioned before, when you're in the strip club, um, you know, I don't want no mainstream music playing, you know, there's copyright problems there, right? I can't have it. So literally when these dance, these girls are dancing, um, these actresses that, that we had for, for the dance, there's no music, but my dad created the song called Move and it's very electronic up tempo and it fits so well. Um, so he did that one. He did some other, like after the intro, there, there's a guy who's in Dirty Bird Mass. Um, um, it's Fitchburg. It's kind of like a, a joke. We call it Dirty Bird. You know, there's, you know, obviously big drugs over there, kind of like with Patterson, New Jersey problem and all that crap. But yeah. um, in, in Dirty Bird, so he's from Rhode Island, Martones are from Rhode Island, but they're doing like an, something in Dirty Bird. And these thugs come up, like, you know, they own the street. They, they mess with a guy. He does, they don't know he's a Martone guy. They know who Martone is. But my dad created this kind of like, um, you know, just upbeat kind of tempo music for that. And um, he's got a couple other pieces in the movie that gave it that. So we got an like Italian and kind of like Amer American uh, modern flair, because you got to remember what I said before. Um, they definitely want the Italian flair, but I want that more new generation mafia. So with his style of music, I think that really paints that picture for that. I love it. So what'd you do? Did you send the files of the completed film to the composer in Italy, or did you give it to him bits and pieces at a time so you could put it all together? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, I would send him like, you know, I got a two minute run of, um, you know, this scene, I'll send it to um, Alberto. 
and he'll he'll basically write the music. He'll give me a high quality song. I'll plug it, plug it in, and you know, and then we're good. So that's how how that came about. And I got a little scared though, because I wanted I didn't want him to fill out. So I I wanted to mail. Never mailed anything to Italy before. I went down to the post office. I wanted to sign some posters for Alberto and his team. And the guy was just questioning me. They have these weird um, custom questions about like like CDs and uh, movies and um, artwork. You know, I'm like, well, it's my artwork. It's not like it's a Metallica poster or album I don't own. I mean, I own this. So I'm trying to explain it to him that it's a movie, po- not a movie poster, but my movie, like this is my movie. And, you know, I made it. It's not like I'm giving him like rare or, or other like, you know, mainstream stuff. He's like, well, all right, well, right in there. We hope we didn't get rejected. So I was, he's like five to 10 days. And I'm like, I'm just hoping he'll get it. And in about 12 days, he's like, yeah, Joe, I got it. I'm like, well, thank, thank God. Like, I had no idea these, these, all these custom rules about what you can send and what you can't send, you know? But that's odd. I wonder if it has anything to do with, because I love Italian horror movies, like Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and other ones. And I always read that in Italy, they really don't have any copyright laws, and they just take American movies and completely rip them off. And I'll give you an example. When Jaws came out, you have to check it out. It goes under different names, but the main name that I've seen it in the theater was Great White. Universal actually pulled the movie because it's just so bad. It's, it's hilarious. But then, you know, Lucio oh. Fulci came out with Zombie, which is Night of the Living Dead, and other ones. But really? I wonder if that had something to do with it, where they were worried about... Maybe yeah, t- maybe. But you know what? You're right about that. What I'm sick and tired of is Hollywood doing that is... Um, yes. I love all kinds of films. I love French movies. There's a French movie called District B-13. Not sure if you've seen it, but it's parkour. There's a lot of jumping. Um, and these guys are the real deal. I mean, they're jumping off buildings, or, you, know, you know, just running. But the reason I bring that particular film up, it's a French movie. I think it came out in 2015. I could be off, you know, plus or minus either way. But uh, an, Amer- an American uh, TV show came out um, a little after. It's called Chuck. It's an IT related one. But the opening sequence to that movie, they did some parkour where he kind of like jumped through like a, win- a high window. The first two minutes of what they were doing was an exact copy of District B13 opener. And I caught that. I'm like, you guys, really? What are you doing? Oh, I'll just watch some French movies and nobody will know. Nobody will know. And like, I know I can see it. I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that noticed. I don't know. But they do it so often and, and they throw it under the rug and they don't they don't think people know. But Joe McGee knows, you know, I, yep. I know I know you what you guys did. So, I mean, it happens too often, like you said, you know. Yeah, well, I've, I've caught it several times myself, too, because I, as I mentioned, I love foreign movies and I watch a lot of them. And now, maybe if it was the 80s, 70s, you know, 60s, 70s and 80s, it'd be so much easier to get away with. But now you can see what's going on. We go on the Internet. YouTube has something. You can download movies. You can stream movies. I mean, DVDs. Oh, yeah. I have so many foreign dvds they have in the even even back in the 90s when uh hollywood video and blockbuster they would have foreign sections so it's just that it's so much harder to rip people off and say or rip other countries off and say well what are you talking about how did you find out they'll never know about this because there's definitely ways that much easier to see other movie movies from other countries now so it's going to be harder to rip them off but yeah, I've, I've, I've caught that several times. Wait a minute. This is exactly what I saw. It's just, so it's, they, unfortunately, some people do that and they think they can get away with it, but they always get caught. Yeah, you're right. You're right. No, no originality. And what also busts my bubble is I write all my own original work, right? You know, I'm not going to like, hey, you know, rip this off or 
you know, do a fan film. Not, not that I'm going to bash anybody that does like a fan, fan film. There's a lot of popularity with it. I don't think I would ever do one because I, I, I'd like to stay in my own path being original. But even, even spinoffs in a certain way, Robin Williams, Jumanji in 95, when they took the spinoff with The Rock, I love The Rock, but doing it a video game version, they should have kept that alone and, and, and not messed with it, you know? And now look what we have. I think there's two, three new Jumanji movies. But the way with the board game, they should have just left it alone. And, you know, this makes, you know, why take a, an idea and, and twist it from a board game into a video game? Just write your own original. I mean, I don't know, uh, you know? No, not even that. They do that. But also now everything's a remake. Now it's a reboot. Now it's a oh, remix. Yeah. Now it's a redux. It's just there's nothing original. And even somebody said, it might have been Kevin Smith. It might have been him. But what he said is so true. All they're doing is buying the name. They can really give a shit less about the content. All they care about is yeah, getting people yeah. into the theater. They make their money, get that out of the theater. They make the next one. So they don't really care about the content at all. All they care about is getting people in to fill the seats. And it's sad because the days of, I mean, not, that's what I'm so glad there's filmmakers like you and there's a lot of other independent filmmakers that you could probably name that actually still care about the quality of cinema. But there's so many, the nice, actually, let me, I'm going to go back a little bit. It's not the filmmakers. It's more the studio heads that don't care. Oh, yeah. All they care about is the money. So this, there's probably a lot of filmmakers that say, wait, I don't really want this. But then they throw money at them like, all right, well, this will pay for the mortgage on the house. And <laughs> I can make the movie I want to make next time. Yeah, you're right. You know, and I heard the other day, um, I'm a big fan of 80s movies, you know, all yes. kinds of just different ones. Um, the Monster Squad, I'll name a couple, but. One particular one that may be upset, I heard they're, they're planning to do a reboot on, and if they are, shame, shame, shame on them. A lot of people don't know this. This is a Disney movie, Flight of the Navigator. They're talking about doing a reboot, which they should not touch that. That movie was a classic with the, the time travel, the speed of light, losing age. I mean, come on, just leave it alone. Don't, don't reboot that. I heard Jaws, and I also heard uh, The Warriors. And please, for the love of God, leave those movies alone. Yeah, they, that's they what were I'm saying. perfect for their time. Late seventies, mid to late seventies, that those movies were perfect. I mean, maybe they can make it a little bit glossier. Maybe they, but it's not going to look as good. It's not going to be, even though they can make the shark look as it's jumping right out into your living room when you watch <laughs> yeah. it. I'd rather have the old effect of Bob Maddie putting it in the ocean, letting it sink, and they have to show the fin for half the movie because the shark wouldn't work. It's like that's yeah. what made it so great and it made the movie more suspenseful, it made the story better. So just You're yeah. absolutely right. You know, why can't they just take an idea, yeah. leave it alone, come out with something new? Yeah, like for me, like um, I love Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park one, epic. Yes. But what had happened is after after the first, I don't even know how many they have, but they did it because of popularity. But what made me mad is they were doing them this. I think I wasn't the second one. It might have been the third or the fourth one. I forget the name of it, but it was either the third or the fourth one. They were actually filming it when the script was even finished yet. And this was in trivia on IMDb. Like, I mean, this this goes back to what we're talking about is, hey, I got a Jurassic Park. It's it's the name that sells. All right, let's get everyone together. We're going to bring them a location. We'll have a script ready. And the script's not ready. Everyone's here. Like, okay, we'll make something up. I mean, that's what they're doing. It's just ridiculous. This is a good follow-up question to that because it seems like a lot of people are going direct to streaming. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, we're in this um, new generation world of, um, you know, where before we were kind of just slowly adapting to streaming. 
Um, you know, with COVID, I think that opened up a lot of doors where people, you know, love the theater. Now they didn't feel safe. Maybe now they're a stream believer, just like, you know, ties into working, going to work. Well, I work from home and I never didn't want to do that, but I was forced to now I like it. So I think it's growing on us quick, quicker, quicker than we want to admit. And it could take over, um, you know, bigger than what it is. I mean, you know, people, some people are even getting rid of cable. They're just, you know, getting into Netflix or Hulu's, you know, just dropping cable. You know, I think the, the demand is there. The people are there. And, you know, I think it could be something that it's going to be the new norm. I mean, remember when you uh, first subscribed to Netflix many years ago was, hey, I want the stream plus the DVD. They would mail you DVDs still, right? But yeah. And then they finally took that away because it's, hey, we're in this new era. I mean, so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe movie theaters will go away. Maybe there'll be, you know, an option where you're streaming, you know, on this huge screen from your home where they have a live feed and you're streaming that way watching it or they're just doing like what HBO Max does is a lot of the movie theater movies are just going there and look what Paramount's doing. I think I had Sonic Hedgehog 2 went to the theaters and then it was on Paramount like three, four weeks later, you know, and, and there's um, other uh, Voodoo, which is part of Fan, Fan, Fandango owned by them is you're offering a lot of the uh, movie theaters now that are out there, you could buy them like either the same day or next day. I mean, that, I think this is taking over. I really do. Yeah, unfortunately, for because I still love the theater experience. I love, I, I'm an AMC A-lister, which means I pay 25 bucks a month. I see three movies a week if I want to every week. And it's the same price. And I, I almost got rid of it one time because I said, you know what, I'm not really, get, I haven't gone to a movie in a month. I bought one ticket for an IMAX, it was twenty three fifty. I said, whoa, I said 25 bucks for three movies a week. Every so I, I kept it and I go to movies all the time. And I, I just love the, the watching it on the big screen, the sound the surround sound, the popcorn, the whole experience. Oh, yeah. And the reason I bring that up was because Spielberg, several years ago, you probably know about this. He, he was angry because a movie that was on Netflix was either up for an Oscar or won an Oscar. And he goes, that's a made for TV movie. It shouldn't even be eligible for the Oscars. And I kind of agree with him on that. That's why I wanted your opinion. So I, I know it's the way to go. About that, but which which one was it? Do you remember what he was talking about? I can't remember now. It was two two years ago. I know it was a black Ooh. and white movie. It was foreign movie. It's just I really can't, after this interview is over, I will uh, get you the name because I, I have to look it up. But I he if you look up the Spielberg mad at you know made for tv netflix movies i'm sure it'll pop up because he had he okay. was really making us think about it because the movie was in the theater for one weekend so it would be eligible to win an oscar and he goes this is not a theatrical movie he goes they should separate the two and i do see what he's saying but i also see what you're saying in a way where i'll play devil's advocate because there's it's the way things are going it's just i hope movies don't go away because i I love going to the theater. I love seeing it on the big screen. It's just not the same sitting here on my, I mean, some people even watch movies on their phone. It's like, how can you get any, for me, how can you get any enjoyment out of that? You have to see it. Like, perfect example is your Tony Marteau. Yeah. Seeing it on the big screen, everybody's watching. Oh, everybody's yeah, you know, absolutely yeah. right. I can't agree with you more. There's something about that, that whole experience of, you know, being there. Um, but I will say this, I think there are times where by accident, um, due to time constraints that we're forced to watch something, you know, you want to watch something like a movie and, and, you know, have all those experiences, but sometimes you need it to pass time. What I mean by that is you're on an airplane, right? They do watch movies. You have a selection. 
and you're kind of just forced to watch it on a tiny screen or stream it from your phone just because, hey, I got a four-hour flight or whatever. I mean, um, it passes time, but you just miss out on that experience. So you're absolutely right. Well, no, just like the the older days where it would be in theaters, then maybe, I mean, at first it took Jaws, I think, three years to come out on the VHS. That's how, that's, it took such a long time. Now movies are almost available immediately or, like as you said, a month later. So I wouldn't mind that, but be in the theater first, then go to streaming services, then, I mean, but unless, you know, sometimes they have the, you know, the made for Netflix, the made for Hulu movies, those are okay, but just, I think that they should discern between, all right, well, this is a theatrical um, Oscar nominee. This is a streaming nominee. And just the, yeah. but they do something like that. But I, I do, I think there is, those services are there because I, I watch movies all the time on that as well. But I just, because he made a great point. He said, pretty soon going to the theater is going to be as expensive as going to Broadway. <laughs> if you have a family of five, you're almost <laughs> that expensive now, but. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, there is, um, you know, definitely um, a, a, a huge difference. And, you know, we, we do even do find a lot of theater actors for converting them into from theater actors to uh, movie actors. For me, I think theater actors have it harder because you're, you're live, you're, I mean, you rehearse, you know, prior, but, you know, you're in that moment, there's no cutting, there's no, you know, re-blocking the shot, there's no do-overs. I mean, if you mess up, you got to be in that moment, get your feet back up and go. You know, when you're in a movie, you cut, cut this, hey, look at this, look at that. I mean, we're a theater actor, you're, I think you're more polished, and, and we've seen a lot of success where, you know, movie actor or a theater actor never did a movie, and they fit it into so well because, they're used to all of these these um, rehearsals and just putting in a near perfection performance in their mind where they're not going to mess up. So I, they they've adapted well, but I think they have it much harder than the movie actors. Yeah, definitely. So with this movie, what's, what, I mean, you do it perfectly because you have the theatrical, but now you also have that deal with Amazon. How did the deal with Amazon Prime come up? Yeah. So I mean, you know, with that. Um, you know, with Amazon, it's, it's a good thing um, with it. There's a, the problem with Amazon, they're changing all the time. You know, it almost seems like, you know, every other day, it's like a, um, a breeze comes by and tickles the back of your neck. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I remember how to do this. Then next week you go back on and they have another rule. Like Amazon Prime, I think maybe sometime a year ago, maybe two years ago, they, their whole mission statement or, or I mean, original was, we cater to indie, indie filmmakers, right? We want to help them. We want to support them. But it seems like now it's kind of, um, they do, but they don't. So, um, you know, I'm happy we, we have a vehicle to do that. But for, for what I mean by that is several years ago, you know, if I was an indie filmmaker, I was working on a documentary. I was working on a short film. I'd have the ability to um, <clears throat> engage Amazon and say, hey, I want to get this submitted. And they would allow you to do that now. Like I said, they change the rules all the time. Now you can't even get a short film on there for consideration or a documentary because they don't do unsolicited submissions for those particular categories. The only one they do now um, is features and it keeps changing. So features they allow, you can submit and, and get approval to do that. Um, and, and, and they'll consider it, they'll review it and they'll approve it or they won't approve it if they don't like it. Um, but like that's what I mean by it. it's just weird is they were just whole catering to everything 
you know, get your content out there. Now it's just like it's evolving where they're getting very tricky because it's not just anything now. It's only features they're, they're accepting. You had reflections, Chameleon. That was, was that originally a, a feature and turned into a TV um, series? Well, this is, no, it was, yeah, it was an original movie. It was written for an original movie, but it adapted into a TV series. And yeah. um, I submitted it. I think also that's the other exception is you can do TV series still right now on Amazon Prime for consideration. But if you have a film that's under 40 minutes, they consider that a short and they won't allow you to um, submit that to them. But anything, they consider anything over 40 or greater a feature in their eyes. And again, this is all debated because film festivals, a lot of them have their own rules, what they consider a feature versus a short based on runtime, you know? And um, so there's that. So I'm just very happy that we're gonna get it to go out there. Um, we, we originally had it set to go live um, the day after the premiere, but I, but I pulled it down, I stopped the publishing because as you know, my father passed away and um, yeah, thank you. And um, I decided I wanted to do in the end credits to put like a little tribute in love and memory. I got you know, I got him in there because, you know, he's a big part of this. And uh, this was like literally his last movie. He's working with me. So I stopped that. I, I uh, re-added the file and then now it's going to be in queue. Um, you know, uh, well, it's out there now. Um, as you're listening to this now, you can watch it. But when I made the change, I had to wait another three, four days for it to publish. Because um, with, with Amazon Prime, once you get the approval, um, you could you could do an immediate publish, meaning is they'll just publish it out right away, or you can set a date, you know, in, in advance. Like maybe I don't want it to post like immediately once they do all their quality checks. I can set a date, you know, um, whatever, um, you know. So you do have that option, which is kind of nice. Well, I mentioned to you off the air. We're going to dedicate this episode to your dad. Yes, yes, that's very, very uh, thankful for that. He'd like that. I mean, you know, I mean, for him, his, his latter part, latter part of his life was um, music. I mean, he was, you know, he was a good like electronic background. He would do um, electronics for um, uh, military uh, companies, uh, the Sidewinder missiles. He would actually do the, the system boards on those. So very smart man. He's very uh, into electronics. So he would, he would even sell uh, rep replica guitar pedals to even celebrities. I mean, they would buy from him. Um, he would build CB radios, make them himself. Then he got kind of got sick and he couldn't walk anymore, uh, or you know needed help. So he got out of the the corporate world or the business world, and he decided, hey, I want to want to do music. And he's graduated from Full Sail University, which which is a huge school in Florida. To do movies, some big big sound sets out there, um, and yeah, and he, he did that a latter part of his life. So for the past um, many years, I think it's been, I don't know, um, three maybe three four years, we've been working together on music, and that's what he enjoyed doing. So you know, if you're gonna go out, you know, why not go out and do what you enjoy? You know. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad he at least had a chance to go out doing what he loved. So I'm happy Absolutely. about that. Well, you mentioned, let's go back to the movie. So you mentioned with Amazon Prime uh, standards and practices, you have to submit it and they check. What, what are they looking for? What wouldn't they accept? Well, here's the thing. This is the, the, the big mystery. You can Google this. Uh, nobody really seems to know the answer to it is <laughs> when they reject you and they can and will reject you. I've been rejected once. 
they won't tell you why they just say hey thank you for your submission but um you know your submission was rejected you cannot appeal this decision this is like their verbiage like so we're like well what the hell does that mean you know did they not like it so when that happens you get an expert to critique it so i did have a film that was rejected on Amazon Prime, and uh, we sent it over to um, a graduate, um, a very famous director now in Hollywood. Um, he's done movies with Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. Um, you know, very, very big, big deal, big name guy. I'm not going to mention him, but he reviewed it, and he gave me three things to to change. You're not supposed to change and resubmit, but here's what he did. <clears throat> he told me that my first title choice wasn't really reflective on the main character or a theme maybe change it to something more generalized he said it could be that he said it could be this movie has a lot of gore that might not be appropriate for an independent filmmaker there's this one scene where <clears throat> the actor basically takes out um mason jars that are, he's a serial killer and he um and these look like the real deal i mean there's a woman's breast in there um, intestines. He's actually making a sandwich and eating it with, with his music on, right? So it's very, very dark, right? So he's like, well, that scene might be a little much. Maybe you want to cut that. And then uh, what was the other one? There was, um, I forget what the other was, but whatever it was, these three things we changed. I rebranded the title, took out that uh, scene that I mentioned about the, um, the eating the intestines, and I rebranded the name. I resubmitted it, and guess what? It posted so it's a mystery. We don't know why. They, they just don't like something, but they won't tell you what it is. Um, right. Then how can you correct it? I mean, luckily you had some help with this and he yep. recommended, but some people are going to say, what do I need to fix? I mean, look at people like Quentin Tarantino, Toby Hooper, Wes Craven. You can find them all on Amazon Prime. And you yeah. just the scene, yeah. one scene you mentioned, they've had something like that or way worse, but they're okay because what they make yeah, money. You know, what I think about it is, is I think they're, they're established um, for, for yeah. doing that type of, you know, and I'm not really established yet. Um, you know, and then to your point, there was this um, Amazon original where this whole guy's head got decapitated, <laughs> the totally decapitation. And, and, you know, that's out there. But I think it's really about they don't really know, you know, who you are. You know, I'm not like I'm, um, you know, a, a, like a Hollywood director. I'm not a Tony Scott, um, which who passed away recently. But. Or you know what I mean? Like I'm not a big name yet, so you know maybe this might be too much. So it could be that, but yeah, if you Google it, they they really don't tell you why, and it's a mystery. So I would just say if that should happen to you, just seek out help if you have resources in, in the industry. Um, you know, very high resources that can really watch it and give give some possible things that it could be. I mean, we're just throwing darts at the wall, but it, it worked for us. Where those three things could have been it. It could have been one thing. It could have been. All of them, we don't know, but we, we made those changes. I love the fact how you said, I didn't make it big yet. I love that. It's going <laughs> to happen. Right. And I could say, I had him on the claws corner when. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to talk about how you make your movies a little bit, because we mentioned a little bit for the, the locations. And you said that you go into one example you used was the uh, strip club in Wolcott. You mm -hmm. get the permission. Has there ever been a time where you said, I really don't have time to get permission. Let's just film it and get the hell out of here before the cops come. Yeah, you know, you hear stories about that, you know. Yes, they do. Um, it, it does happen um, more often than you think, you know, where um, I try to be the best advocate in doing things the right way. Um, <clears throat> for Tony Martone, I was pretty, pretty hard by the book. 
you know, I had my liability insurance for any venue that needed it for $1 million um, with your address on it in case we burnt down the building accidentally, which of course we're not going to do, but you know, um, but it does happen. I mean, for me, I haven't had that problem and I, I just won't risk it. Um, I did have another um, filmmaker in, in Massachusetts who told me a story once. And I do this all the time. You ever hear of, um, you know, you're at the local watering hole, you're at the bar, you're telling stories, you know, about, you know, I mean, when people hear, they don't really know how the conversation started, but he's talking about this murder scene and, you know, what they're doing to this girl and, and where their body's going to be. And they, they thought literally they were planning a murder. They called the cops on them. They came into the bar and they, they were talking to the filmmaker. And, and it, I mean, it happens in another case. I know a friend, the New Hampshire actress, um, she told me this story where um, she was rehearsing for a horror movie, but she wanted to get her screams down like so accurately. She was just screaming in the middle of the night. The, the neighbor called the cops. They went over there because she was screaming so loud and asked her if everything was okay. She had explained, I'm an actress, you know, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm practicing. So, you know, stuff like that is, it's very world, you know, world acceptable because you know, we talk about all these scenes, but when people hear them, they might be taken out of context. Would you ever hear of the movie Cannibal Holocaust? It's an Italian movie. Yes, I, I've seen uh, uh, stills and, and uh, like video clips. I haven't actually watched it, but they really say that that is a real cult classic because of what it is. I mean, it's so just nasty stuff in there. I mean, I, I haven't watched it yet, but I hear people talking about it. Well, I saw it years ago and I have several copies of it and I actually met some of the cast members at these conventions I go to. But the reason I bring that up was because there's a impaling sequence. They had to bring the actress into the court to prove that they did not kill her. It was so realistic. If you look it up online, <laughs> you had to go in the court and prove that, no, they did not kill me. That's not real. They, he did get arrested for a lot of other things because there's a lot of, unfortunately, uh, animal cruelty in the movie so that's a different story but the yeah i heard the, about that yep yeah yep. that part's true and but the part where the actress had to go into court to prove that no she's really not dead <laughs> if you see the scene it looks because it's basically the 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 original blair witch they they go into the the, the jungle they find this lost footage and they're trying to backtrack with what's going on it's a really good movie and uh very realistic it's a, another one of those Italian movies that really don't have any guidelines of what they can do or what they can, cannot do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The other, one, <laughs> the other example I want to bring up is, I'm sure you heard of Larry Cohen. He's a director from the 70s. He made a lot of movies, but he never would get permits. And there's, I saw a, doc, there's a documentary on him. If, I don't know if you have Shudder. Shudder's the... Uh, I, I, I've had it before. I don't have it now, but I've seen movies on there, yeah. Okay, there's a, there's a documentary on there, and uh, do you, you know Fred Williamson is? He was a former football player, and he played in a lot of the exploitation movies of the 70s. Anyway, you, he did a lot of movies with him, and he was saying that they would just film scenes. An example would be they were having a shootout in an airport, but they didn't tell anybody that they were filming a movie. And Fred Williamson said, people are freaking out. He goes, and he was telling the cameraman, Film the people, look at their faces, they think it's real, and they're running around the airport with all these guns shooting each other. Just uh, stuff that you can never, ever get away with now, but. No, no, yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, so I do hear a lot of stories like that, and I love the way you do it. You go down and you do it right, you get permission. Most of the people, I would imagine, think, oh, really cool, I'd love, to, I'd love to have my place in a movie. I mean, I can't imagine a lot of people saying, get out of here, that most people love free publicity. 
Yeah, they do. They do. You know, and um, yeah, we've been really thankful. A lot of the people that we talk to about what we're going to do, they they don't mind us in there. Um, you know, the only thing that was surprising to some people is in Providence, in Federal Hill, and you know, there's mafia ties, real mafia ties in Providence. Um, but East Providence is kind of like the baby city. Nothing really goes on with that we know about. But um, you know, in in the opening sequence, I talk about you know owning the city, the city hall, the cops. You know, and uh, we were afraid that the, the real mayor would, would have a problem with, you know, putting a bad, um, you know, tilt on the East Providence. But like anything else, it's fictitious. Yeah. Um, there is one scene in there that's not um, kind of easy on the eyes. Um, th th basically, the dialogue goes, you know, I'm Tony Marchone. You know, I own um, the cops. I own um, City Hall. I even own the mayor's private parts. And, and then the next thing... He's on the bed with the mayor's wife and he slaps her and, and he starts doing her and he throws and she throws the color and knocks the picture frame during the mayor's house, the picture frame of the mayor and her falls down the ground, smashes, and he goes, you know, you bang better basically than the mayor. So I mean that could be that's a little little harsh, but I wrote it. It's in there. And when when we played it at the premiere, people were just they were dying, they were laughing at that, that line. And you know, they really loved it. There's a lot of twists in the Antonio Martone. You know, we got a lot of um, just like people screaming, like, whoa, you know, like just a lot of, um, you know, you're in the theater, you know, this is like no other theater experience. I mean, these people are just pumped, you know, so yeah. we're getting people like, yo, and what? You know, especially at the end, the end is, is, ooh. Um, so yeah, a lot, a lot of uh, love, uh, you know, I, you know, I heard best mob movie and, you know, so we did submit it for a best mob uh, production in the film festival in Green Bay, which is one of the cleanest cities I've ever been to. I've been there before. This, this film festival um, that, that is just great. Uh, Freddie is just great down there, his guys and people. So I submitted that yesterday and for Best Mafia Production. So if we get that, we'll be invited to Green Bay in September for um, going up against the, for the Best Production uh, Mob category, which is voted by the judges. So we'll see what happens. Right. Well, good luck. And hopefully next time I can have you on the show and say congratulations. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you submit it to any other of the film festivals? No, I mean, not yet. That was my first one. Um, I'm going to look at, at uh, some of the bigger ones. You know, I want to hit um, uh, the problem with, with a lot of them. You got to be careful because a lot of them have rules like if it's on Prime or if it's showing, they don't want you to. A lot of them want them to be the first one to show it. So a lot of the big ones I, I can't really get in. I don't really want to wait on the on the, the release of it. So that's why I released it. But there are a lot of big ones that they don't really care about that rule. So we're gonna just submit to as many as we can at this point. Did you ever try to submit to cans? Um, it has crossed my mind. Um, I gotta see what their rules are um, as far as you know what they want, if it's you know then um, you can kind of get away with it too, because a lot of them even say, if you had like a premiere, you're ineligible, but it's the way you spin it. You can say, I had a test screen, <laughs> you know? And if they don't really check, you might be okay, but if they check, you know, but you know, so there's things like that you can do, but generally speaking, if it's out, they, they really want to be the first one. So I got to check on that. I mean, look at Clerks won it one year back in 94. Yeah. So, I mean, a movie that was, filmed on a VHS camera that was, you know, so ancient compared to what you record with now. So if, yeah, uh, I think, unfortunately, I could be wrong. 
but I think it's probably a lot more politicized now. It's a little bit harder to get films in there like it was, than it was back in the 90s, maybe even early 2000s. Yeah, I'm sure you're you're probably right on that. And, you know, especially uh, ones like that, um, you know, you know, it depends on the ones, you know, they can cost, um, you know, $100, $200, $500, $1,000 to submit it. You know, some of them, like the big ones, they're, they got a huge cost. So it's just really finding the right ones that fit your budget where you want to go with it, you know. If you start it, if you do a Kickstarter, I'll donate some money for you to get you down the cans. <laughs> that's <laughs> absolutely, my goal. Absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure all my clause clause corner viewers will do the same for you. We'd love to see you I down there. Some some absolutely. Yes, yes. Uh, actually, speaking of mob ties in Providence, correct me if I'm wrong. I was doing my research on you and I heard that one of your actors has some real mob ties. You're you're right. He wasn't in this one. I worked with him before. Um his father was, I forget the, he had a, you know, a name, he, um, you know, you know, killed a lot of people. I mean, he, he was actually really the son of, of this guy. And, um, you know, when I first met him, I didn't know that he was telling me a story. I guess he's like a, a chef, you know, he's a chef. So um, he was just telling me, but he's, you know, a big guy, very intimidating. And um, he was telling me the story of it. And you never know who you're going to run into. So we've run into, you know, guys that are, you know, really well connected. We've run into, you know, just a wide variety of, um, you know, people and, and inspiring what they want to do, you know, and we have a lot of actors that are just, you know, full-time actors like Gio Descani. I mean, he's run by Kevin, uh, Kevin Green, who's a big, uh, big agent. And he's, he's all over the place. He was in LA talking to, he was on, um, I think, what did he tell me? Uh, one of the big sets down there, CBS, Paramount, a lot of meetings. And he, he travels, he goes to Serbia all over doing international films he's doing all these big things and um you know he's he's waiting he's waiting for an, another one with me he just love the experience and um you know so we, we get a lot of these these great people out there that that want to do these big things and you know they really appreciate my writing and I think that's that's great to, to be acknowledged for you know oh, definitely because you can't have a movie without good writing if you, uh, yeah unless you unless you're Jurassic Park that's <laughs> your Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's totally true. That is totally true. You know, and um, <clears throat> you know, the people with um watching Martone, there's a lot of backstory that was not in the original script. I actually wrote it um I wrote it a little later on because I wanted um to put a little bit more of a flair into the backstory of Ray Amato when he was in New York. So a lot of the scenes when you watch the movie, there's gonna be a scene where they're in like this cabin. Uh, it's supposed to be like uh, in uh, New York, like his um, safe house, and he's got an FBI agent in there. This was all written a little bit later, not really intended for the original script, but I wrote it after because I wanted this backstory to come in, and I think it ties in so nice. And we filmed that in uh, Reading, uh, Pennsylvania, at the film studio called Reading Film Studios. They had all these pre-built sets, beautiful place. Kudos to Toby Moore, Danny Feynman, who have access to this. So. We got a lot of these great, great sets to, to do that in there. And, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of killing going on. So you'll see that scene, that first um, uh, three to eight minutes. I mean, it's going to be <laughs> one hell of a show. I'm looking forward to seeing this movie. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I want to talk about Tony Martone still because uh, my mind just went blank on this, so I'm going to go back to that. We'll go to another question. <laughs> I had a really earth-shattering question for you, and I will get to it soon. But um, I know that when we talked about uh, 
last times I've had your show several times, we talked about Joe McGee Productions and how it all got started. But let's yep. do a refresher course because I, I don't think we talked about this last time. You do a lot. You, you don't just make films with Joe McGee Productions. You offer some great services such as photos, videos, you edit media, contracts, you offer demo reels, you do production help. So let's talk about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, you know, originally when I uh, founded, it's on my hat right here. You can see it, McGee Productions, right? So when I when I founded this back in 2017, it was originally just because, you know, I wanted to bring my my writing out visually, but I've, I've done more now. I'm, I'm taking on other contracts. I actually have a big contract coming up in, in about a week. Um, well, I mean, depending on when this is out, on July... 18th i'll be in green i'll be in greensboro north carolina filming with tom sizemore who was in saving private ryan where i'm filming a movie now i'm not my i'm a contract i'm the director of photography i'm going to be filming for them with tom sizemore for a movie called mob humor it's a mob comedy with tom sizemore so i'm really pumped for that so i'm just getting a lot of attention people know who i am um you know and the director um you know really nice asking me about that i um she asked me multiple times you know the first time i was just really busy focused on martone like well i don't know i don't think i can do it and then she asked me again a couple months like a month later i'm like i'm almost closer i'm not then she asked me again very persistent but i finally said yes so i got what i needed to do done i took the contract and now i'm going to be out there in uh in middle july so i'm going to be doing that uh, well congratulations on that and it just came to me because we, we were talking about the movie it all starts with good writing and I remember when I talked to you last time for the movie, The Harvard Psychologist, you said you actually wrote it as a novel first. So the question is, is yep, do you fine. normally write how you work now? Do you write screenplays <clears throat> exclusively or do you write the novel and then tr turn it into a screenplay, then into a film? Yeah, that's a great question. When I first started off, it was exactly like that. As I would do a novel and then I would adapt into a screenplay. This point in stage where I'm just, just really, really busy back-to-back -back projects, I'm just really focusing on screenplays only right now, um, just because of the way, um, I mean, there's so many differences where, you know, with a novel, you get a lot of formatting, you get a, um, another proofreader, you got your margins, you got all this cover work, different cover artwork. Screenplay, it's just very, very simple, very easy. Uh, so I'm kind of going to that area now. Is this going to be strictly just screenplays? Um, you know, I have two projects of my own in the works. Uh, one's called Article 92. It's, um, we're going to be scouting that soon. It's kind of like a military drama. It's got some sci-fi on it. Um, it's basically about, uh, there's this guy um, who's, uh, think of like, you know, rock and roll guy, you know, long hair. He's very sad. He's in his car. Think like a Camaro, Firebirds or something, you know, you know, and he's, you know, pounding back some beers, the radio's on sees a flashlight coming on, his car stalls out. It's like, what the heck? <clears throat> so, you know, and then he sees some movement up ahead and then the, the, the car comes back on. Well, a UFO flew over and that's why it went out and his headlights come on. Guess what he sees in front of him in the military moving an alien across the highway. So he's like, oh shit. So they basically chase him down. They bring him into questioning, Homeland security problem. They question him. So the movie really is about uh, following lawful and un unlawful orders. That's what Article 92 is in, in the military code. So there's an order where Homeland Security, they, they think they know better that this guy's gonna snitch, he knows you know, media contacts. So they give basically uh, one of the um, privates an order, 
a lawful order to kill him. Well, he's like, yeah, it's not, a, it's not really a lawful order. You know, that's unlawful. I can't. It's like, yeah, you know, you're in the military, you know, you're out there and, you know, in the boots and somebody gives you an order to kill, you know, whether there's collateral damage or not, you're going to do it. And, you know, he's just going back. He's got a friend in military law. They're going back and forth. Well, he decides he's not going to do it. So th there's that climax. And, and, and I'm not going to say what happens later, but that one's coming soon. That's going to be a pretty intense one. Um, and then I have When the Sun Dies, which I've been trying to film for quite some time. But we've had uh, COVID setbacks in Tony Martone and this and that. So that one's like a sci-fi end of the world kind of a biker game and uh, saving the sun or your son. So the metaphor is save, saving the sun, S-U-N, or my son, S-O-N. His son is dying. There'll be a point in time where he, he can save his son by getting this medicine. There's a bunker where this, this guy is. Um, or he can save um, the sun um, about nuclear fusion. There's a way to... to make an artificial sun but if he does that his son's gonna die s-o-n so there's just all these things going on so i'm excited for those two projects yes i think last time you were on the show you were talking about that one you were just starting yes. that which was yep two years ago so you're i love that was in you... post-production two years ago and it's still in post-production okay so you were you're towards the end of it so i remember we, yeah. we definitely we, we were talking about it and you said you were working on so you know what though i love the fact that you have so many ideas that you never have to worry about running any out of ideas yeah absolutely what is your favorite genre to write direct produce act all of the above do you have a favorite uh, you know um <laughs> that is a um great question you know i've i've kind of dabbled into a lot i've done psychological thrillers i've done um psychological horrors i've done um, a mafia film now you know i've done just historic fictions there's one particular one you, you know this about me i, I like to play comedy i want to do a strict a strictly comedy uh, you know i really appreciate like you know the, the comic genius um you know like think think like uh like the um i mean it's Funny in a way, but like Home Alone, for example. I mean, just yeah. the writing. Um, John John Hughes. John Hughes right? is the best. Yeah. I mean, he's done. I mean, it's I don't care what people say. Brilliant. He's so commercialized, yeah. but every movie he made has heart. It's hilarious. Has that's what I mean. Story. I want to dabble into like you know a comedy. You know, whether it's more like <laughs> in tune with that, or maybe it's more like in tune with like more like a kind of like a dark gritty comedy or slapstick comedy or like a tommy boy or black sheep or something like that you know there's always different ways to go well i like the fact that you're not pigeonholed into one genre so you can say all right i'm gonna do some sci-fi today tomorrow i'm gonna do a mob movie next oh, yeah. next week I'm, so i love the fact that because once you it seems like with in any genre any type of uh, success that people have be it writers directors actors they're always pigeonholed into like what made them popular like all right jim carrey is always going to be a comedian you know, tries a serious role oh my god he's horrible and then uh try to think of writers i can name four or five that i've had on the show that said every time they i wrote a new book they wanted me to write the same book with a different title and the same thing with uh with directors the like you came out with like a action movie all of a sudden you're known as the action guy it's like no i have a lot of other ideas so i love the fact that you're not sticking it this early in your career where you're saying yeah. i'm gonna try everything yeah you know just like one of my um admirers who passed away i mentioned his name before tony scott true romance he did top gun he did yeah. um 
uh, what's that movie? That, he did that race car movie with Tom Cruise. Uh, the hell, um, Thief of Thunder. Yep. Again, very different than like, a, you know, an action movie. So he's dabbled into to other areas as well. Last Boy Scout was great, too. I love that movie. Last Boy Scout with Damon Wayans um, is it, Bruce Willis is one of my favorites um, as well. I just love like, you know, hey, hey why did Milo cross <laughs> like the chicken joke? And, you know, and the goons come out. Hey, guys, you should get home. The streetlights are on. You know, they're, they're like, oh, we're getting beat up by the inventors of, you know, Scrabble or whatever, you know, just like funny humor, but action. And it's one of my favorite movies is um, The Last Boy Scout. And I do like True Romance, which was I a Tony Scott film with Christian Slater. Brad Pitt was in it. I mean, uh, Walken, Christopher Walken, J James uh, Hopkins. Well, just so many people. And what I really liked about that movie is it's in one of my, my top lists of, hey, I'm, I'm going to know. I know I'm going to die. What's something I can do, a big FU moment where I'm going to piss you off so bad that I want you to kill me, where Hopkins um, told um, yeah. Christopher Walken that his grandparents were spawned by, you know what I'm going to say. Yes, right? I do know. It, that, it's just unparalleled. I mean, that writing was just genius. I mean, just genius, you know? Well, Not you that know, you, you know, you know who wrote it, right? Quentin Tarantino wrote the script. Yeah, and he, and he sold it, yeah. Yeah, he sold it, but the do you know the story with the ending? Because... You know, Quentin Tarantino usually, I like the fact that he is more with realism and Christian Slater's character is supposed to die. When he gets shot in the eye, he said, there's yeah, no I way he's going to live. And they, the producer said, there's no way the main character is going to die. So Roger Avery, who helped him with the script and he helped with Pulp yep. Fiction as well, rewrote the ending where it made Christian Slater live at the end. Which I, mean, I like the ending, but if you want to be realistic, there's no way he would have survived that shot to the end. To the head. You know what I, I think it's because you know in, in this time and world is you know and I'm gonna I'm gonna label it but we want the good guys to live I mean we yes. don't want a sad ending and we want to do it for the people so you know I, I definitely think that's why they did it is they wanted it to be not a sad ending you know they wanted to give it hey there's still hope this guy's having a he had a kid or something at the end though when he got yeah, yeah. Up or whatever yeah I'll name to Elvis yeah that's right that's right <laughs> but yeah that's you know what one of it's my, great you're working with favorites. Tom Sizemore who was also in the movie. So you can talk to him yeah. all about it. Patricia Arquette um, yes. did a hell of a job in there. I mean, there's so many people, so much talent in that movie. Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt was, I, you know what? I, here's what he I like about the Brad stoner. Pitt. Yeah. Yes. He, yeah. what I like about Brad Pitt is he could play the stoner. He could play the burnout. He could play the crazy killer like he did in California with David Duchovny, which is a great <laughs> yeah. movie. But then he could play the leading man and also the supporting character once upon a time in Hollywood. So I love the fact that he is just so talented that anything you give him, he can play. It's similar to Val, oh, not Val Kilmer. I liked him in, during his time, but uh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale to me is like one of the best actors of this generation because every movie he does, he's a chameleon. He becomes that character. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I love, I like actors like that. And Brad Pitt is one of them where you throw him in any role and there you are. Okay. Would you get a phone call? Yeah, no, I had a, a little battery warning. I'm on my phone, so that's okay. I just had to tap it, and I'm like, where'd you go? Um, All right. Yeah, well, if we, if we die, we'll, uh, we'll have to have a part two of this, because I have plenty more things to talk oh, yeah. about. You know, and Gary Oldman was in True Romance, too, yes. another good actor. Yes. I always, you know, it's funny. I always bring, I always forget about him, but then when I think about his body of work, I mean, just two examples would be Churchill and that movie, where he played Winston Churchill, but they, they played Sid Vicious. They plays the president of the United States with Harrison Ford. So yeah, he is another guy that just you throw him in anything, and he is so unrecognizable in that movie. 
I know. I know. I like his look, though. You look, you look like such a bad badass, you know? Yeah. You really did. I really love that look. I mean, they did a heck of a job with uh, everything on that. <clears throat> I, lo I really loved it. Even the, um, remember the Kung Fu references and eating pie and all that, you know, that was all, that was all good. Oh, yeah, definitely. And uh, just like another one that he wrote and I love, and I know that he didn't like, well, actually, it's funny. He didn't like both scripts or both versions of it, but Natural Born Killers is another one that Tarantino yep. wrote. That I, I love the movie version of it. I think, uh, was it Oliver Stone that directed that, right? Yeah, Oliver Stone. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Yeah, I thought he did. A, I thought he did a great job with it. He had, you know, Rodney's <laughs> Dangerfield, all these different things. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? When I first time I saw it, but it's just a, it's just a fun, crazy movie, and uh, I, I think that I, I love movies that are unconventional, like they're not following the norm, like we talked about, where everybody has wants the happy ending. An example you brought up where people do want the happy ending. Did you ever see the movie The Mist? It's a Stephen King novel. Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't know how you get in my head, but I'm actually in the process of watching that. I'm in like, oh. um, yeah, I'm only on the part where like, um, so like the temp, the, the grocery, the grocery store, the tentacles are like coming in and then like these creatures were like staining the necks and they're flying off. And so I'm only like around there, but I just, yeah, I just started dabbling into that movie like the other day. That's funny. All right. I'm not going to say a word. After you see it, please message me because I there's a reason I bring this movie up, and there's okay. a reason. And all I'm gonna say is, people, people on the way out. I didn't know. I was actually walking into the theater, seeing people were screaming, yelling. They were really? pissed off. I, you'll find out why. That's all I'm gonna say. I love the movie. I saw it four times. And I own it on DVD. And the best part about the DVD is that it has the black and white version along with the color version because it's supposed to be like a '50s horror movie. They make it like. And yeah, yeah, have, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a, and actually, I can't remember his name right now, but the director of that movie, to me, did all the best Stephen King adaptations. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah, so people always think of, like, Stephen King as horror, but this, that, to me, the guy is so much more than horror. There's so many great things that he's written that Shawshank Redemption is another one that's is a great example. It's not horror, the Green Mile. It's yeah, I mean, that, there's just so many other ones that just do a great job with like those um, oddball, like you have um, um, JJ Abrams and you have um, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, uh, yeah. the, like the sci-fi, the, you know, just just those um, just dark kind of movies, you know, I enjoy those too. Yeah. Well, I heard you mention in the past that you like the cycle, well, you mentioned on this show as well, psychological horror, and one movie yep. you brought up was Hot Tension. High tension. Correct. Yeah, it's a fresh I movie. Them. Yes. You know, for me, like, right. So if I'm ever gonna do a movie, and I hate to say it like this, but if I'm doing a horror movie, how many horror movies do you know have a plot where <clears throat> someone's chasing them, whether in their cabin, they're teenagers, or in the woods, they're at a gas station, something happens, they get chased, they get abducted, they get tortured, and they get killed. I mean, that's basically the plot of it, you know. And it works okay, but with high tension, which is US title, it's hot tension in French. It's more than that because um as you're watching it, you're like, yeah, this is kind of weird, but it, they reveal what happens with that character, the twist of it, where you don't know, like, I'm not going to say what it is, but I mean, that twist was this earth changing for me because it gave the film more dimension where um, when you're watching it, like all these bad things are happening and, you know, with you know, just some of the stuff they use, I think they used, um, was a chainsaw or uh, something on the windshield and just all kinds of stuff. But when they revealed what was really happening, you need that twist. You can't just have a movie where someone's being chased and there's no twist. 
And that's what I like about that movie. Yeah. There's a, that element where you don't know what's happening. Then it's revealed and it's a game changer. It's a game changer. Well, another example was there's a foreign movie entitled The Vanishing. They made an American version with Kiefer Sutherland. In the original foreign version, they find the body in the trunk, the movie's over. In the American version, of course, they open up the trunk and there's a daughter. Oh, hi, daddy. Thank you very much for saving me. So they had to Americanize it and it was a lot less dark. I like both movies, but if you want the gritty and raw, go see the, uh, the, the original. You know, that's that's, you well, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say you're absolutely right about that. Is I don't understand why the the um, the acceptance of um, either you know killing or humor is, is so more adaptable in in like the United Kingdom or the UK. Like for example, even commercials in the UK they're more raunchy. Like um, many years ago, I mean they still have ones today, but there's a blank. I think it was blank pro. It's a audio. Um, uh, like a cassette player that's I'm probably butchering the name, but they have a video in um, the UK where they have these stuffed animals in the back along with the speakers and it's just pounded. It's making these animals come on top of each other like they're doing the dirty deeds. But in America, they would never show something like that. And, you know, then they have this RAV4 commercial where, you know, these couples are doing things or they're trying to get the car keys or it's like a home alone, home alone, two, a home alone scene where they're getting thrown buckets at each other lighting their hair on fire and of course we did that in the usa you know we'd be frowned upon they have we have no humor that's the problem here well i could tell you how bad it's gotten i mean i think to me social media has made it way worse and i'm going to give you one example i was laughing so hard when i saw this you i'm sure you know the show wheel of fortune with vanna white pat Sajak. yep 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 he, they had an, an opera singer on the show so he made um he asked her he goes oh are you an opera buff she goes, no, I'm not really a big opera fan. He goes, have you ever listened to opera in the buff? And people are, oh, my God, he should be fired immediately. What is this? Wheel of Fortune after dark? Oh, really? Geez. That is what offends you? Are you that much of a snowflake <laughs> that you can't take? Where he, he didn't even say anything. All he did was take the words and switch them. Opera buff. Yeah, unbelievable. So, yep. Yeah, unfortunately, there's way too many kids. And I don't, you know what I think it is? And... You can, you and I can have a whole other show about this. I think the problem with, in America anyway, kids have it the easiest they've ever had it. They have it made, and they're looking for something to to rebel against. They don't really know what to rebel against because their life is so easy. It's probably the best they've ever had. They're living at home. They're getting three square meals a day. They're having. They don't really have to work because mommy takes care of them. And then they're like, what can you know? Not in the '60s when they're burning bras, in the '70s when they're <laughs> civil rights. Now it's all about, I can't believe you said operating the buff. Yeah, ridiculous, ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, so there's, unfortunately there's a lot of that going on. Do you find that in your movie? I'm sure people that like your movies know your sense of humor. And has anybody ever walked out of a movie and said, I can't believe you did that, Joe? Yeah. <clears throat> no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, there was, um, I might have mentioned this before um, on another show, but I'm not sure. But there, the only problem I had was, is, um, a woman's point of view and, and a man's point of view can be different. And what I mean by that is taking an offense to something. In my book, The White House is Fake, I wrote a scene that basically um, Nelson Conrad was trying to have his friend shut down a power grid, but he needed to make up a story that sounded very convincing to a man that it would be something that would be offensive that, oh yeah, this is bad. I need to do something about it. So what I wrote about was 
is he's telling his friend, hey, you know, uh, my friend's mom was out there and she was driving by. She saw a car seat in, in the woods. She decided to stop. She went over there. There was, no, there was, there was like a doll in, in the car seat and she got beat the heck out of by these guys. And they took off. <clears throat> Nobody found them. Um, so when I was writing this, it, the woman editor is like, yeah, I don't like that. You know, these cops didn't do anything. It's very offensive. Why don't we change yeah. it to they were throwing water balloons and her and her car went off the road. I'm like, really water balloons? And no, I'm leaving it. You know, so my point of view and a woman's point of view of what's acceptable or offensive, it's very subjective. And, you know, I, I, this is how I see it about perspectives and point of views is it's very kind of a, a weird way to vision this. But think about this is when the Titanic sank many years ago, human life's big tragedy for everyone. But for the lobsters in the ship's kitchen, they're free. Their point of view is different than, than our, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's subjective, opinionated, and, and that's what I see a lot in, in today's world. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, no matter what you do, you cannot please everybody. And I, I wouldn't even try. It was like for the things that I do yeah. anyway, like I don't try it. When I was doing comedy, people used to get mad at me because I have cerebral palsy, as you know, and I would make jokes about it. Oh my God, you can't make fun of that. I'm like, you know what? If you don't like it, just walk out. I really don't care. I don't want you in the show. Yeah. It's like, it's yeah. never, there's plenty of other people that do like me. So just move along. You know, if, that's why I always said there's an on and off switch for everything. If you don't like the show, turn it off or change the channel. You don't have to sit there and watch it for 45 minutes and complain about every little thing that you saw and offended you. So there's too much of that where I think more people watch it when they are offending because they want to see what's going to offend them than people who actually like it are just enjoying it. So it's just, a, there's, I, I like the fact that you're really just, yeah, no, I'm going to, that's the way it's going to be. And if you don't like it, sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it is. You know, get over it. There's, I don't know if you saw this though, because we were talking about foreign movies a little bit. There's a movie I saw, I want to say it's French, and it was called, okay. I could be mispronouncing it, but it was called Titane. It's about a woman that gets pregnant by a car. It's great. It was up for an Oscar for best foreign film, and it really deserved it. It's one really? of those movies, I, I swear to God, I, I, I'm going to tell you about the director because I looked her up afterwards, and I saw another movie she made, and it's just as good. But I went to the movie theater. I said, what the hell is this? And like I said, I'm, not, I'm an A-lister. So I get to see all these movies for quote unquote free and 25 bucks. So I said, let me check it out. And I'm watching it. So like, it's one of those movies like, what the hell is going on? Do I like, yeah, I like it. I have to see what's going to happen next. And it just kept my interest <laughs> the whole movie. And it's, a, yeah, she's a dancer. She's dancing on the car. All of a sudden she gets started bigger and bigger and she, it's gives birth to, I'm not even and so I look really? up the director. Her name is Julia. I could be pronouncing this name incorrectly as well. It's Ducorno, D-U-C-O-U-R-N-A-U. And she huh. I and believe it or not, and I want to talk to you about this because uh there's one video store left. It's called Hand Invest Video. I, I I've been have, there. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that. I've actually been there many years ago because um at the time, I mean they have I haven't been there in years, but when I did go there, I mean, their VHS selection is just unheard of. You can find a lot, because a big problem too is, is I'm a movie buff, you are, is the yeah. problem is there's a lot of even movies now that aren't even circulated to DVD. So you got to find them on VHS. And when I went in there, I mean, this place was huge. I've been there before. I haven't been there in years, but I remember, um, 
taken out a couple of VHS tapes at the time. Um, and I even think I took it out when I had a DVD player, but I, I purposely, I don't remember what I was watching or wanting, but I purposely got these movies because they were not available on DVD yet. What I love about them, it's funny because I, I went down there for the first time maybe two years ago, for the first time in a long time, and they said, oh, you're still on file. I said, I'm still on file. And they looked at my, they said, oh, you have a credit card in the system that expires in 1994. <laughs> I'm not even, I said, wow, you really keep your records for life. But they have a system now where I pay 10 bucks a month. I have unlimited rentals. I can rent it, keep the movie as long or as short as I want, rent as many as I want in a month. And this, they did this several times for me. I looked up a movie. I said, do you have it? Not yet. Next thing I get a call two days later, Rich, your movie's in. The reason I'm bringing it up for you was yeah. uh, because they have a local local section and they have all the local directors, filmmakers. Sure. And I want to I wanted to talk to you. I think you should get your movies down there because there's a lot of great local filmmakers that are featured there. They have a whole section just for that. And I think oh, you cool. do very well there. And just people would just you, they can rent it and then you know let, let you know if they saw it. And then I think. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I'm pretty sure you can also buy the movies as well if you want. They, they yeah, I have to go deal. back there. It's been quite some time, but um, I re that, that place was, um, <clears throat> you know, I re I reminded me of um, many years ago, there was Tommy Caves and Waterbury, which went out, yeah. but I mean, kind of like that. I mean, they were the big deal, you know, I mean, the, the Hamden stores is, you know, very, very large, but I mean, Tommy Caves had a good selection, you know, when they were out there, but, you know, just all these forgotten places, you know, they're, they're still out there. I love Hamden Best Video because not only do they offer movies, which believe it or not, it still does well, but then they have a cafe. Then they also have uh, events there. I've seen bands there. I perform comedy there. Believe it or not, they have a nice little, in the really? summer, they have it outside in the patio. They have bands. I did comedy inside. They have a room there. It's it's a really nice place. And as the people there are very knowledgeable and they have very eclectic taste. So anything that you want, and if it's available, they will get it for you. If they don't already have it wow so, okay yeah. good to so know what they need now are some joe mcgee movies <laughs> that's the uh, only thing so they that, don't have yeah maybe they'll find me on file you know and uh that happened to me when i went to uh you know the doctor like i don't <clears throat> go to the doctor often but um you know because i just you know I, I usually i'm okay but um i think it was two three years ago i had like bronchitis well my coffee was so bad i needed to go you know i didn't want to go but i was just you know putting it off I went down to my, my doctor who actually I found out moved because I haven't been there so long. And so I followed him to his new place and I went in there. They go, hey, Joe, um, I found your file, but it's a paper file. We're in the computer now and you're not in the computer. You haven't been here in 10 years. I'm like, yeah, I don't go to the doctor often, you know. So they had to enter all my information from the paper file into their computer system. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to go down there and say there's this great director. He has a lot yeah. of great movies. I'm going to mention your name. I'm going to say you need to get his movies in there. And what I can do is if you want, I can give them your phone number. And you can give it to me off the air. I might already have it. Either way, yeah. or your email, and I will have them get in touch with you because they, I'm going to say he just had a great premiere. I'll show them the pictures on Facebook. The people are very, very, it's not it's not a corporate type of place. It's not like Blockbuster was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're friendly back, only. You know? yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah, yeah. They are very open-minded to everything and even it's funny because they always thank me like i want to thank people like you who bring stuff to my attention that i never even knew of and i said vice versa i said they a lot of times they'll come in like right what should i watch today and they'll give me the, and that's how i found out about that movie well titani i saw in the theater but then i went back to hand invest video 
and she had another movie and it's called raw and it's going to sound weird and cliche but it's done so well you got to check this director out it's a she, the kid's a vegetarian her father is really mean he forces her to eat meat she turns into some kind of zombie and just starts killing people but it's done <laughs> in such a great way it's not a cliched type horror movie it's done very well very unique so it's just a i was wondering if you saw that because that's probably one of my favorite foreign movies or maybe one of my best films of last year and it's no no i I haven't seen that yeah um the one of the um, other ones i was watching um um, watching over another french movie i like i'm not sure if you've seen it but i love it crimson rivers is is a really good one it's got a what's that french actor's name reno j J J does it john reno no j-e-a-n no. Yeah, 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 him. Yes, okay. he's yeah, he's in there, which he's a very, you know, known actor. He does a lot of American movies too, but he's yeah. in there and it's just kind of like this kind of gritty kind of like horror movie, but it's done so well. They did a sequel, but that is worth checking out. Crimson Rivers 1 and 2. I think they're either late 90s or early 2000s, something like that, but very 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 done very well. Right. I'm going to check out. And the other one, it's funny. I think it was right when I, it was coming out as I was interviewing you. It's a movie from Korea called Parasite. I remember you talking about that. You know, it's been on, I think it's on, because I have like most of the streaming on Hulu. I think it's on Hulu. I'm pretty sure it is. I just haven't gotten to it. I've been wanting to watch it since you told me about it. I have not seen it yet though. It's funny because I think this was, maybe it would happen right after I talked to you where I said, well, I hope it wins at least best foreign film. I, yeah, said, yeah. If it, I would love for it to win best picture of the year, but there's no way it's ever going to win. I went downstairs and came back up and won. And I said, this is the first time ever where I saw a movie that I think deserved to win actually won. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's out of control, but it's done so well. The acting is, I can't remember his name, the director, but he's done a lot of big movies that you would know. Uh, but, but Parasite to me is his magnus opus because that's where uh, just it all came together. All the, so I've seen his other movies; and they're really good. But this one, it's going to be tough to top this one. I think. Yeah. I, think looks- I have to check that out. I would definitely check that out. Joe, I know your phone's going to die soon, but it's great talking to you as always. Yeah. And uh, please, you are you have carte blanche for the show. Anytime you want to come back, anytime you want to promote something, or even if you just want to talk about movies, I can talk about movies all night. So. Oh yeah, me uh, too. <laughs> Actually, well, do you have a little bit more time before your phone dies? I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I got one bar. We could try. We'll see how far we can go. Yeah, right. sure. Well, the reason I ask is I'm curious about this because uh, yeah. growing up, let's see how it changed. Growing up, who was your biggest influence in filmmaking? Who growing up? Um, that is a good question. Um, I mean, I just watched, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, um, you know, I still have a social life. I go out, you know, party, whatever. But, you know, I would always, I mean, I acquired just hundreds of movies throughout high school and just seeing lots of uh, different things, um, you know, but probably back then, um, you know, I can go several different ways because I was into, when I was in high school, I was in a lot of action movies. Like I really loved you know like like action like um i think brian de palma i would say would be probably high on my list then because he just did so many great films um you know and um yeah i think it really for me it started with the action type type movies um you know for me yeah for me i think i want to say 
definitely Sam Raimi. I just love the old Evil Dead movies. I love the, his mix of horror and humor. And so he would, so, and then like, I love how he developed. I mean, to me, one of my favorite movies is Simple Plan, which if anybody saw that movie, they would never ever guess it was the guy that did Evil Dead. But now, you know, since he's done Spider-Man and Doctor Strange recently, which is funny <laughs> because I'm not, I'm sort of superheroed out. I'm really not in the superhero movies anymore. To me, it's the like same recycled formula over and over again, my personal opinion. But I saw that one and he just brings back all the horror elements. And of course, growing up, I, I'm older than you. I was born in 68. So Spielberg was just starting. I love Jaws. I love Close Encounters. And yep. uh, so for, for you, for now, like, do you have a favorite filmmaker up and either up and coming or somebody that is maybe established, but they're fairly new? Um, you know, I mean, I'm always and will always will be Quentin Tarantino. He's, he's always... Um... You know, but for me, from one of my, um, he doesn't do um, a, a lot of more, a lot, a, you know, a lot of movies that he's done lately. He does a lot of like uh, master classes and teaching. Um, I think he has a couple films in the works, but for me, um, David Lynch, you know, when, especially Lost Highway, when Robert Blake was in there, I mean, even, you know, I had that problem with the murder and all that, but, um, you know, David Lynch, Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, just, um, even David Cronenberg, which I think did Videodrome and Existence, which are another two of my favorite. Um, so them guys are definitely, and then we have uh, DeToro, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, um, Devil's Backbone, which a lot of people haven't seen. I'd recommend that. Um, this was before um, uh, Pan's Labyrinth. I think even um, the, uh, he did uh, Hellboy, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, I mean, all them guys are just, I mean, I, I like the um, the oddball ones, you know? Oh, me too. It's funny because I was going to mention David Lynch and it's almost like you and I could have a whole conversation without even saying the words. We both know what we're thinking because I was going to oh, bring yeah. David Lynch and I love, it's funny because one of my favorite scenes, I always remember the scene when I saw Lost Highway was when Which they one? went to Robert Blake and said, you have a phone call. Who is it? It's you. <laughs> I was like, whoa. Just oh, I know. And I love the, the echoing of that, just when he's laughing and that's penetrating. And but just the it's just uh, just such a um, such a great movie. I mean, they don't make movies like that anymore. I mean, then the incorporation with I think they did a lot of uh, Marilyn Manson, like I put a spell on you, is on there. Yeah. Um, so uh, what is it? Sound of Siren when they're in the desert, the love scene, and blah blah blah. But I mean, so even for a film like that, but just the the musical. Um, idea of what they wanted I think worked really well too but the great lines the acting and, and, and um, uh, who, who's uh, isn't uh, Pullman in that isn't uh, he yes. in that yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, in yeah, it. yeah Henry Rollins is in it yep yep yeah, yeah they, great they, movie that's one of my favorites and I think they just put that on a blu-ray because I have the regular dvd but a friend of mine not too long I'll put a like a picture it's on blu-ray now which I got to check out because I love, and I don't think that's streaming anywhere I mean I haven't looked but I mean movies like that they're just you know they're, they're amazing. What I like about him is when people say, what the hell is this about? He goes, the movie's up to, up to interpretation. I want you to make up your own ending or make up your own mind on that. And he said that for several of his movies. And I just love that because I just sit back and just enjoy it. I'm not looking so deep into it to go, oh my God, I'm going to figure this out. Like, I don't even try to figure out David Lynch movies. I think I just find them enjoyable and it's great entertainment. And it's just like, this is like, I, yeah. what'd, you think of, what'd you think of Eraserhead? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is, you know, that kind of reminds me of another one who makes oddball movies, um, another um, director, uh, Takashi Mikey, who did Itchy the Killer, he did yeah. um, 
what's the other one? De the Deadly Outlaw, Rekka, and all kinds of different ones. So, I mean, you know, they have those those weird styles. I think he even did Gozu, which, have you seen Gozu? That one I haven't. I know of it. I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, my God. It it's just so weird about reincarnation and coming out of a crotchal area. I don't want to get into it, but I mean, it's this, this, these movies, I mean, they're just, you know, way right field, but I mean, they have a following and, and they're so different, you know, <clears throat> you know, they're very, very different. You know, they have a following, but they're very, very different. You know, I do. Well, unfortunately I did see the phone blinking, so I will let you go. I want you back on yes. the show again. We, we definitely have a lot more to talk about Joe. I do have a favorite up and coming director. His name is Joe McGee. Thank you. Very Thank much you so for being much. On the show. Absolutely. Thank. Have a good night, and I will send you the info for the best for the best video, the hand the best video. Okay. Oh, most definitely. Have a great night. You too. That, that wraps up the latest episode of the Claws Corner. A huge thanks goes out to actor, writer, director, and producer Joe McGee for coming back to the show to talk about his latest project and whatever else comes to mind. As you can see, I also need to thank John Bristol of Elmwood Productions for always doing a superb job editing this show and making it available to all each and every week. And lastly, but definitely not least. I need to thank you, the viewer, for always tuning in. Enjoy your day, everyone. Diaphragm again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ha! We caught one. They're supposed to be weird. Oh yeah, no. If you say so. I've always wanted to be in a movie. Waiting around for all of them. Waiting around for all of them.